Welcome to Because It Is, a conversation about faith, justice, and other things that matter. This podcast is hosted by Second Baptist Downtown in Little Rock, Arkansas. Second Baptist is a vibrant, historic downtown congregation whose faith compels us to seek justice, care for the oppressed, and pattern our lives after the way of Jesus. We are a unique Baptist church that prioritizes diversity and inclusion for all. In this episode, we talk with Brian Kaler, president and editor-in-chief of Word and Way, and Mitch Randall, chief executive officer of Good Faith Media. Good Faith Media and Word and Way are faith-based news outlets with a variety of print and audio platforms. Mitch and Brian share how to discern credible news from their unique perspectives as senior editors. We hope this episode will help you on your journey toward truth. Hi, everybody. Welcome to uh, this edition of Because It Is. In the season of Lent at Second Baptist Church, we are focusing our attention on the truth and why it matters, how we're called to be people of the truth, and what that means for us in these days. And as we thought about this season and how we might think deeply, ponder, pray our way through the season, it seems to me that uh, voices from the media could be key guides for us in how to know the truth when we see it and how it might, as Jesus says, set us free. And so to guide us in this journey, I've invited two friends of mine, uh, Mitch Randall and Brian Kaler, both of whom uh, lead uh, media agencies within the, the Baptist world. And so I'm reading and listening to both of them with regularity, and I trust their voices. And I believe that as they've been a good guide for me, they will be a good guide for you as well. So Mitch and Brian, welcome to the podcast. And even more so, uh, thank you for the work you do every single day. Preston, it's great to be here. I, you know, I'm really kind of relieved after hearing that introduction because once I got the invite and was, I don't know about Brian, but I, I was excited to be a part of the podcast, but then it hit me. Am I here to advocate for truth or are you going to use me as an example of non-truth bearing? So I'm glad to hear that introduction that we're here on a positive note. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you at the end of the podcast what your purpose <laughs> yeah, that's right. is. Well, well, you're fake news, Mitch, but, uh, you know, at Word and Way, we do real real news. So I'm, I'm glad to be here too, Preston. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome. Welcome. It's good to be here. Uh, so let's start, I guess, at a kindergarten level. Why should the people of God care about the truth? Uh, why does that matter for us? And why does it matter in the world today? Wow, that's a great question. You know, one of the things that our colleagues talk about often, when it pertains to Christian faith and the pursuit of truth, you know, as a people of faith who follow Jesus, I think we begin or we should begin at least with our faith in Jesus Christ. And so it is this faith that seeks to understand or this faith that seeks and pursues truth. Truth is important for the believer and actually for everybody because it is the very essence of who we are as human beings, this self-identifying of who we are as an individual, who we are as a community of faith, and therefore, we must 
pursue the relationship between the individual and community with the divine, and then, of course, with each other. And the way we do this is a dual pursuit of the truth, one that is vertical with God, another one that is horizontal with our fellow human beings. And we do this together, and it's a learning process. It is a search for what is out there, and we're constantly looking for what is factual, what is truth as we perceive it when it comes to philosophy and theology, but it's this ongoing pursuit. And as long as we're pursuing it, as long as we're open to continuing that pursuit, I think we're going to be in good shape. It is when we close our minds to the truth or the potential of truth or to say that we have arrived and we've got a, a stranglehold on the truth and nobody else and help us in this pursuit, that's when I think we get in trouble. So I think it's important to understand that truth is really a pursuit of truth that comes out, especially for those of us who call ourselves Christians and Jesus followers. It is a pursuit of truth that comes out of our faith in Jesus Christ. And I would just add, I also think it just gets to the credibility of our witness. And so, you know, if we are constantly sharing things on Facebook that aren't true, if we're putting up posts about, you know, some supposedly stolen election or some, you know, vaccine that's supposedly going to kill us and some, you know, fake virus that's been made up by the woke media or whatever, and then we say, and also you should accept Jesus because he is Lord, there, there comes a point where it's, you know, people aren't going to believe us anymore. And so truth matters matters not just in the way we talk about the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, but truth matters in all of these other ways that we talk, because if we undermine our credibility, we undermine our witness on the most important truth. We actually had a family join our congregation during the pandemic who said to me, uh, if I couldn't trust my former church to understand the pandemic and to, to handle the pandemic well, why would I trust that church to nurture me in eternal things, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, the way that we speak the truth or don't about uh, things that can seem even peripheral or, or tertiary, uh, it impacts our witness in eternal matters as well. Um, let's get a little more specific into your field. What what separates good journalism from bad journalism? And if I could follow up with that, in an age of social media, uh, how do we differentiate the truth from falsehood? What pointers would you give us in that regard? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that the question on good journalism, bad journalism is one of those that it's 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 difficult to describe real succinctly because i mean other than like the egregious examples of bad journalism right stand out because everyone's going to make mistakes uh, but then the difference is that good journalism corrects the record it admits when it made mistakes uh, good journalism is going to follow the lead wherever it goes and that can lead to uncomfortable uh, exposure of someone that maybe you actually admire, someone that you actually like. And so you know, I think it's sometimes easier to describe bad journalism because it is often very one-sided. It is you know, perhaps partisan, maybe not in a political sense, but partisan is a sense of I'm with this person or this is my side. Uh, it doesn't care about the truth. It, it cares about what's going to get more clicks, what might be the headline that is really fascinating and exciting, but actually doesn't describe 
the piece. And so I think we can start to acknowledge and notice bad journalism a lot quicker and easier. Although, unfortunately, in our diet, as we've gotten used to junk food, then we, we sometimes don't recognize how, you know, unhealthy it is for us if it's the only thing that we consume. On the second part of that, and then I'll let Mitch jump in, is that social media, one of the things that I would I would say that's really important to pay attention to is do people actually provide a link to something? So one of the ways that misinformation particularly spreads on social media is someone will post a statement, but they don't actually have the, the article where that where that supposedly news item came from. Right. And so at least if you can click on something, you can now go and look at, okay, where is this from? Is this, you know, Joe's blog? Or is this the Washington Post? You can see, you can do some source credibility check and read through the headline. But I see a lot of times some of these you know really sensational posts will just say a claim and maybe have a screenshot, but you can't actually click on it. You can't double check it. You can't actually read the piece for yourself. And that to me is always a red flag. If they don't want me to actually read it, then maybe there's something wrong with it. Yeah, let me follow up to what Brian said. You know, I think one of the biggest problems that we see now in uh, quote unquote good good journalism versus bad journalism is that in a lot of media outlets, there is not a delineation between reporting and editorializing. And a lot of times people will take editorials as factual information. And a lot of news organizations don't do a very good job in defining what is straight reporting versus editorializing. At the same time, there seems to be a trend over the last several decades of editorializing making their way into reporting. Uh, what's really interesting, there's a, a site, uh, I've got the app, it's called the uh, it's called the uh, ground news and what they'll do is they'll take a story and for example let's use the ukrainian story right now with russia invading they'll take that story and then they will post a lot of different uh, uh newspapers who have reported on that story and then they will rank those from right to left and what's fascinating to me as part of the media is to look how different news outlets have handled this same story uh, from as brian was mentioned just the headlines themselves lend themselves to editorializing what this article is about and then you look at something that should be straight reporting on what a reporter sees and then reports on what they witness, there is editorializing within that reporting. Um, and then, of course, you've got the, the editorials themselves. Uh, both, uh, both medians are extremely important to journalism, but they have to be well-defined and well-structured for this to become a credible uh, science and art again, uh, this, this idea of journalism. As far as social media is concerned, uh, I just want to echo exactly what Brian says. Anytime we post anything at Good Faith Media, or I do so personally, it's it's always primarily with a source. Uh, it's a credible source. Uh, New York Times, Washington Post, I know some don't see that as credible sources, but they've got a long uh, lasting history of journalism. I would even throw the Washington Post in there. But I also try to uh, make comments in the post itself that this isn't an editorial by David Brooks from the Washington Post, for example, or this is a report uh, from this news organization. So I think the, the big problem that we're facing right now in journalism is a misunderstanding of what reporting versus editorializing is. 
And to follow up what Mitch was saying about this idea of like lying up the, the continuum of how you know, the news sources from left to right are covering. If you find a story that's only showing up in one of those extremes, that should also be a red flag. So if there's only a couple of conservative media sites that are going on and on about this really big, important story or vice versa, a couple of liberal sites are only going on about this story that's supposed to be ground changing, you know, to completely change everything in politics. And the and it's not getting coverage anywhere else. That should be a warning that somebody's hyping this up. Because if this story really was this big, it would cut across the field, regardless of ideology. Right. One of my concerns, uh, especially the way people get their news from social media these days, is the way that that news comes to us, right? Like in, in previous decades, a person had to go actively get a paper, you know, if even from their porch, I'm going to get the news or they had to turn a television channel to a specific channel. They knew what they were getting. But I think a lot of people don't realize that even as they're reading Facebook or Googling something, that Facebook and Google is reading them too. And the algorithms of those uh, media platforms are giving that person more of what they already believe. It's reinforcing their worldview. And it, that happens even at a subconscious level. And so I think a lot of people, uh, they have assumptions that are then concretized into what they would call convictions, but there's very little uh, critical truth in that worldview. Is that something you've seen from your seats as well? I can tell you, we got firsthand uh, evidence that that's what happens at Good Faith Media. Um you look at our analytics and people will look at our posts on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, uh, TikTok. Uh, can't remember everything else, but at least we look at those analytics and we have a lot of people who are looking at them, but then we have very few who are clicking them. And so it, it kind of it makes us scratch our head of, okay, are they just reading the headlines or a line from that particular piece and then just moving on? They're, they are, they're letting that little clip form their worldview or their opinion or thought about this particular issue. At the same time, what you said is exactly accurate because we can never forget social media is a business and they need you to stay on that site as long as you can so they can sell advertising. The longer you stay on that site, the more advertising that they can sell. And so they're going to either put things that make you feel good about life or things that make you feel bad about life because they want you to come back and they want you to spend time on their site. They are a business. Uh, so it's very interesting, social media, how that plays out in the formation of people's opinions and thoughts on matters. But I think we always have to factor in the social media uh, component that the algorithms are, are bringing them back. They're, they're enticing them. In fact, sometimes you get notifications and you're one, I mean, somebody else, somebody else makes a comment on somebody else's post and it's like, well, I don't care, but. <laughs> Facebook cares. They want you to come back and look at that. <laughs> right. 
You know, it, it is. So even before social media, there was already research in journalism showing that people, more people would read the headline than would re- read an article, right? So, you know, if you want to think about bias, bias in headlines is more important than bias in the article, just because a lot of people will read a headline and not read the rest of the piece. And I think that's even more so because our phones have trained us, Twitter and Facebook have trained us to read less and less. And so now those headlines become really important, which is then alarming when you put it together with some other research that we have from political communication, which shows that people don't remember generally the source of where they read something as much as they remember what they read. So what that means is after you have read a bunch of headlines from both reputable and not so reputable news sources, two days later, you might, might remember all of the news, but you don't remember who told you what. And so that's what's really dangerous about particularly the algorithm of, say, Facebook, which is frankly just evil. I mean, let's just get right down to it. I mean, and, you know, please go like us at Facebook.com slash word way. <laughs> but Facebook is evil and we should all get off of it. But if you're going to be on it, be sure to like word away <laughs> while you're there and good yeah. faith media, because they are it's a system that can be bought and gamed and you know study after study after study continues to show that propaganda and 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 i'm going to use this in the real sense fake news not in a derogatory sense but an actual partisan made-up news performs better than legitimate historic news sites facebook's algorithm has is has a sickness to it and that sickness is continuing to infect our culture and our society so, Brian, you just said two words. Uh, you said bias and you said propaganda. Uh, this is also um, kind of a fork in the road that I've come to as a pastor, where many people will say something to me of the to the effect of, well, every news agent, I mean, that news agency is biased, right? That media source is biased, to which I say, every everyone is biased. It, you can't be human without having some bias, but bias is not propaganda. Those are two separate things. Could both of you tease that out for our listeners as well? What's the difference between bias and propaganda? I'm going to let Brian tee this one up. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, yes, we're all biased. Mitch and I are both biased. And and that does impact our journalism. And I'll give a couple examples on what I mean by that. So first of all, we're both running a Christian media organization. And so, you know, that that does bring a bias to our news. Uh, it, it what counts as news there there are so many stories that happen every day and we do not cover all of them because we don't have time so we do have to decide what we think is important and so for us it's like hey what do our baptist readers need to be reading what's going to help edify them today what's going to help challenge them in their congregations today these are the stories of importance for them that's a bias uh, and, and so that can't be, you know, pushed aside. There is bias. But then I think there is this question of of truthfulness and fairness that comes in there of recognizing I'm going to be honest. I've chosen a certain topic, but now that we're talking about it, we're going to talk about it with fairness in a way that not only people who ideologically agree with me would say, well, that was real well written. I want people who disagree with me to say, I don't agree with you but it's at least accurate. You know, I would come with a different, especially with a news article, different from an editorial. I want them to read my news articles and say, this, I, I, you know, I may really hate what's happening here, but I agree with this. And so it's always exciting to see people on opposite sides of a particular debate share the same news article that I've written. 
because then they at least they both felt like they were heard and represented. And that gives you a sense of what we mean by uh, by, by by being fair with that bias, whereas propaganda doesn't care about truthfulness so where we started. Propaganda doesn't care if it's true. So it says, I have a bias and I'm going to lean into it. And it's about my side winning. Whereas a more legitimate journalist is going to say, I have a bias. I'm going to try to be aware of my bias so that I can you know, not allow that to take over and mislead readers, but that I'm still going to pr- give people the truth as best as I humanly can. Yeah. You know, Preston, I was a pastor for over 20 years prior to uh, getting into ethics and um, and media. And I can remember one time a parishioner walked up to me and said, hey, I think you need to be more balanced uh, in your preaching. And I said, well, that's great. I'm going to preach over pornography next week. Would you like for me to present the positives of pornography uh, in the sermon? And it just illustrates the absurdity of, as a person of faith, what what does balanced mean? It, it really means they want to be heard. And we do get a lot of that at Good Faith Media. You know, we'll be addressing a topic and we'll get an email or a phone call and say, hey, you need to present the other perspective. And my remark to that is, okay, would you like to write the other perspective? And guess what? They never do. Um, and so I, I have a problem with, uh, those who criticize, uh, our coverage, um, give you another example. We just, uh, got back from the border. Uh, my colleague, Johnny Pearson, I traveled down to the U S Mexico border in Texas, and we've been hearing all these stories, story after story from, uh, faith-based organizations as well as secular media, that there's a crisis at the border. There's a crisis at the border and that, People are just, you know, crossing the border uh, right and left, and it's just, it's just, you know, horrendous down there. So we just decided to get in a car, drive down the border, and see for ourselves. So we went up and down the border, talking to pastors on both the U.S. and Mexico side. All we did was turn on a camera, ask some questions, and let them tell us their stories. And that's what it is. And we're that reporting is going to be coming out in the in the next month or two. Uh, but I'm, I guarantee you there's going to be people who look at that story and say, well, you only told one part of that story. And I acknowledge that, that yes, these are the only people that we knew, our contacts down there. Uh, and this is their, from their perspective, but it also is part of the overall conversation because you're not getting these stories uh, in the mainline, mainline press or in some faith-based organizations. Uh, this this is an, an alternative understanding of what's really going on at the border. And so, uh, so there is this, I think, misnomer, uh, I think, uh, Brian is right of, of what, what does it mean to be balanced? I think we're always searching for truth. And it's the, it's the, uh, where we begin, uh, with the acknowledgement of our biases, but, and when we get it wrong and we get it wrong, uh, we try to correct those, uh, because we are pursuing truth. Yeah. I was thinking about this the other night when, um, I turned on the news and Putin had said, that he was trying to denazify the Ukraine, right? Right. Uh, led by a Jewish president, that the Ukraine was threatening to invade Russia, um, that his soldiers were peacekeepers, right? And it it really uh, reminded me of the power of propaganda. That that bias is something we all have in our in our efforts towards the truth. Propaganda is an outright refusal 
to name or even seek the truth, right? And that is so much more of a threat than a news agency that gets a fact wrong occasionally, right? Those are two separate realms of truthfulness and two separate realms of, of problem, right? Yeah, you know, and one of the, honestly, most of our media, particularly the, the mainstream media, honestly, isn't aggressive enough. People would say, well, they're too biased. In, in, in reality, I think too often we have a temptation because of the criticism to just be stenographers. And, and so, you know, to it's one thing to report. Here's what Putin said. But I think a responsible journalist also provides context like what you did, Preston, of, hey, this is one of the three countries in the world of a Jewish president. I mean, this is just ludicrous on its face. Uh, and, and so I think that we really honestly need more of that uh, truth telling in our media. I mean, you won't see the L word very often lie in media, even when they're talking about someone lying over and over and over again. Uh, you know, I mean, you, we, we just had an administration where the, 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 the leader lied more frequently than we've ever had any president in our history. And the L word rarely showed up it is inaccurate or misleading. It's one thing to say something misleading, but when you say the same thing a thousand times after being told it's wrong, at some point we know that you're lying and you're intending to lie. And so honestly, I think if anything, we need a media that is stronger in truth telling values and not just stenographer. And so I, I, I always laugh at this idea that we have a, a liberal media because, you know, it, it, if so, it's not acting like it when it comes to to calling out, you know, very significant uh, lies and other problems in our society. And so if the goal is to be truthful and not just balanced, then then that doesn't always mean that, you know, if we interview a Democrat, we have to interview a Republican, too. Right. Or if we if we tell the story from this angle, we have to give the other angle, too. I mean, for most stories in the world, there is another side. Sometimes the two sides are right and wrong, right? Sometimes the two sides are truth and lie, right? How do we help people understand that? Oh, I got this one because I was talking to this uh, pastor from Arkansas one time and we were sitting at a table enjoying a cup of coffee. And it was you, by the way. Uh, this <laughs> scares me because I have no idea what you're about to I say. I use the story all the time <laughs> because it was fantastic. Uh, you and I were sitting there having a cup of coffee, and it was at the beginning of the uh, Trump administration. And you were talking about just how difficult it is to talk with some people who just totally buy into his rhetoric and his propaganda and that his lies are truthful. And that's the danger. We can talk about that later. But what you said is that, you know, you and I are sitting on the other side of the table. I can see this coffee cup and I can explain it from my perspective. And from your perspective, it might have one picture on this, your side. I can explain it and it might have another picture on the other side. We have two different perspectives because of where we are. But then you said something that was just brilliant. It's hard for me to talk to somebody when you're trying to convince me that's not a coffee cup. It's a toaster. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that to me, that was the essence of of where we are today in society. It is so difficult to have an honest debate, an honest conversation, uh, because there are people, whether it's the source of information or the way it's told, will totally deny it 
just based upon they have this complete distorted view of the world and what truth is. And it's, it's, it's becoming even more difficult, Preston. I mean, I don't think people realize the effect the last five years have had on us. The Trump administration could have, could be, I think it was, and still is, has ramifications, but it could be a game changer in how we think as a society, how we operate within society. And what you're, you mentioned Putin a while ago. I mean, that's part of Trump's playbook is to, to tell lies. And it's not new. I mean, we've seen it throughout history. But just to tell a lie often and often enough that it becomes the truth in some people's minds. So it, it's very difficult. Yeah. So so let's talk about that for a second. We, we've already talked about the dangers of social media and its contributions to the realm of truth today. And, you know, autocratic leaders who uh, whose power is based on propaganda but what else in our day, when you scan the horizons or in your daily grind, what else do you see that makes discerning the truth so very difficult in our day? Well, I mean, I think one of the, the key problems that we, we have is there has been a very deliberate effort for decades now uh, to undermine trust in institutions, uh, and not just journalism institutions, but but specifically journalism institutions. And when that happens, time after time after time and time, it, it 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 it's worked, right? And so we have we have seen this battle of don't believe them. Oh, it's just the liberal media. Oh, it's just fake news. And over and over and over to to get people to not trust what they're being told and to, to live into this echo chamber. And so anything, if you say anything that doesn't fit with the worldview, it can be dismissed as, oh, that's just biased media, right? And that's dangerous. If you can dismiss something that quickly uh, without even listening, without even considering, without even dealing with it. I mean, I get this all the time. Someone would say, oh, you're just li the liberal media, right? And, and that's, you know, so that, then they don't even have to deal with the substance of the piece, because they, they can just throw out that argument. And this doesn't just happen in our politics. I mean, this is this is happening in our denominations and our churches. The attack on media has been happening uh, for decades. And that should be concerning because as we started this conversation, we should be people of the truth. We should be we should be praising and welcoming those that are trying to help us know more, to broaden our horizons, to teach us more uh, through journalism and other other avenues. And so I think that's really concerning. And then the second thing that I'll add is I think the infotainment that we have had for the last couple of decades has also been problematic. You know, cable news is probably doing more damage to us even than Facebook. And I, and I mean, that's saying something because I already said Facebook was evil. So, you know, and I, and I don't care which cable news you like and which one you hate, just turn them all off. I mean, because cable news, you know, it used to be, as you said earlier, Preston, we'd go get our news newspaper in the morning, which meant that there had been time to compile the news instead of having to cover fill in 24 hours of the day. And so it's so much of it is just nonsense. So much of it is editorializing that isn't actually news. And again, we don't have that divide very clearly between news and editorial content on news stations. And so, so much of what has happened is that we are just being entertained without being informed. And anytime someone tries to inform us, we dismiss them as just bias. And it's a, it's a, it's a, 
two front here that has really, really made it so mo- a lot of people don't even trust media and don't even understand what it means to trust and read uh, responsible quality journalism. Yeah, and let me echo what uh, Brian just said. You know, George Orwell said one time, in a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. And it is a risk to tell the truth these days. Um, And so let's make it really personal. Um, Preston, you live in Arkansas. Brian, you live in Missouri. I live in Oklahoma. When we say and write some of the things that we say and write, which we believe is our pursuit of truth as we understand it uh, from our conscience. We have paid a price for that. Now, it's not been a great price. I mean, we certainly aren't oppressed or marginalized in this world. But when you stand up for truth, you do pay a price for it. And it's becoming a higher and higher price, especially for the marginalized and the oppressed. I've talked to many pastors across the country. Um, in in you know the summer of 2020, they stood up behind their pulpits and cited uh, editorials or quoted from sources, simply suggesting that Black Lives Matter. And many of them got crucified for it. Some of them even lost their jobs. And this this ability or this willingness to stand up for truth and vocalize that truth is getting harder and harder. It's not getting easier. Now, there is some hope, I believe, uh, what we have seen in the reaction towards the Trump administration, both in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, I think is a good thing. Uh, People are trying to hold those individuals accountable, especially after the insurrection of January January 6th and those who support the big lie. Um, we're seeing it globally uh, with the pushback against Putin. Um, I hope that there is a revolution taking place that people understand the value of truth standing up against lies and propaganda. But all of us have to weigh that risk. And hopefully there are more of us that decide, you know, truth matters more than the risk that we're taking. And I think if more people stood up, to that and stood up for truth that there would be a tsunami that would take place. And this is what I have seen from my chair, you know, people in pews today, uh, you know, Brian, you mentioned 24 seven news cycles and you think about, I'll use a real high church term, the catechesis, right? Of 24 seven news how that shapes consciousness, how it shapes worldviews, how it shapes fears and hopes and dreams at the basest part of our humanity. And then um, they come to church and a preacher, whoever that preacher is, uh, has them for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, or maybe they have Sunday school for an hour and then worship for an hour. This is a hard thing for a preacher to admit. But the sermon very likely will not outweigh that 24-7 catechesis. Mm -hmm. And so then that person is left with the choice. Do I believe this one person from the pulpit, or do I believe the news that I receive on loop over and over and over again? Mm 
I even think for some people, it's not even that much of a choice. They, they already know where they stand or think they know where they stand. And the, the media that we're consuming really does, I believe, have a spiritual uh, power in our lives. And uh, it, is, it is difficult for a pastor to overcome that in some ways. And, and I'll add this as well. I, I think if I said something to a congregant that con contradicted their favorite spiritual writer or their favorite preacher, other than me, of course, um, they will likely hang in there with me, right? But if I challenge their news source, um, it's very likely that they will either call me on the carpet or just go find another church, right? And so that I feel like that is a new day for the church, and it's a new day for pastors and preachers. Do you all see that in your chairs as well? That's right. And the research actually shows that. So um, David Putnam, uh, guy wrote Bowling Alone at Harvard, and uh, Robert Putnam and his co-author, uh, David Campbell at Notre Dame, uh, they wrote a book a few years ago uh, called American Grace. And as they were doing some research, uh, during that project, they found that four decades ago, if your pastor said something that conflicted with your chosen politics, your chosen political party, that you were more likely to change your politics, maybe even your party, and that now you are more likely to change your church. And that's actually even worse news than it sounds at first glance. It doesn't mean for a pastor like yourself, Preston, that you're the second best influencer of their worldview. It means they only tolerate you as long as you echo their actual influencer. And so party ID in, in many ways has become the new religion. And so on the one hand, that can be really discouraging. You've got 20 minutes to fight back against the rest of the week on cable news. On the other hand, maybe this is the moment then that we've got nothing else to lose, right? You know, the question has got to be is, well, if I just preach or I just write what they want, what they expect, and they'll keep paying me, you know, great, but you're really not accomplishing anything if all you are doing is putting a little spiritual gloss on Tucker Carlson's rant. I mean, that's not really accomplishing much. And so maybe this is the time that we just speak the truth let people have it. And maybe because we recognize that people have been so baptized into this alternative worldview that is anti-truth, anti-gospel, anti-Jesus, that we recognize that we can't speak in niceties and speak, you know, around the bush a little bit, that we actually just need to go straight to it and say, this is the way of Jesus. And if you don't like it, you're going to walk out of the church, sure, or you're going to cancel my magazine subscription, which happens, at, you know, every, almost every issue, every year for sure. I get a, a one good issue that really, you know, knocks a few of them away uh, when, we, when we talk about racism particularly. Uh, but, you know, so what? I'm going to put together the, the word that needs to be said or read, and you have to decide how you're going to accept that and what you're going to do with this information moving forward. You know, I'm quite, I'm quite certain before my grandmother and grandfather died that they sent Christmas cards to Wolf Blitzer and Anderson Cooper because they watched them. Every, they watched them every day. Uh, they would talk about them as though they were personal friends. So I think what you're saying is accurate. I mean, they 
they get a steady stream of that daily in some instances. Uh, and it's hard to compete against that. But I'm a little bit more optimistic. Because especially within the local church, and this is why I'm such an advocate for the local church, is that when somebody needs an officiant for a wedding, someone needs to be there at a hospital bed or a birthday party or to officiate a funeral, they're not calling their local newspaper. They're calling their pastor. It's their local church that surrounds them. And so my hope is that we can combat this falsity of misinformation in this world and this trend towards lying through the truth of community. Because I'm going to get theological for a second, because here's where I think the danger of right-wing evangelicalism uh, has played a part in all this. We have emphasized, and, and I would even say even before that, we've emphasized for 500 years since the Reformation the most important part of a person's faith is their belief, what they believe. It didn't really matter how you acted. Well, in some instances, it did. But you had to get your belief right first. And you can always manipulate belief. You can, belief can always change. Reformation taught that. You know, 500 years of Protestant uh, denominations taught us that that's always changing the, the way we perceive things. But we can also find truth in community. And it goes back to what Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment? It's to love God and it's to love others. It's in that community that we can find truth. And what if, what if, what, just what if, if that was the ultimate truth? That yes, we're going to make mistakes. Yes, we're going to get it wrong when it comes to reporting on stories and media and life. But if we're all in pursuit of truth within those two relationships, then we're going to be okay. And so that's why I talk a lot about in media that we are pursuance of the truth in our reporting, um, that we're in relationship with our readers and our listeners and our viewers. Um, we expect them to talk back. We expect them to offer honest criticism. Uh, and we listen to that and we acknowledge that and we respond to that. Um, but I think if we can emphasize relationship more than anything, that there could be hope for the future for us. Because I do think that if we can continue to do that, we might just be able to sit down with someone we disagree with or have a different perspective. And at least we can agree that we're talking about a coffee cup. Uh, even though we see it from two different perspectives. Yeah, great word. And how about we finish there? We've, we've talked a lot about our fears and concerns, and sorry if this has been a weighted episode or a weighty episode for our listeners, but we're trying to tell the truth uh, these days. I wonder when you scan the horizon five, 10 years from now, what your hopes are uh, maybe your hopes for your field of journalism and also your hopes for the church moving forward. What what gives you life? What gives you hope uh, as you look forward? I mean, I hope we're still in business. <laughs> That's a good start. Yeah. <laughs> I have hope because I do think down deep inside there is a goodness within most people. Um, as, as much as I hate what's going on in Ukraine right now, 
and the lies and propaganda and evil that Putin is unleashing in that situation. It's been really remarkable to see the global response. You know, just today as we're recording this, uh, President Zelensky uh, gave a, a rousing speech to the United Nations and every delegate stood up and applauded that speech. And as soon as the Russian delegate began to speak, they all stood up and walked out because they knew that he, that he was just going to perpetuate lies. I think down deep, if we could somehow, if we could somehow tap into that desire to relate to one another on a human level, to understand the importance of truth and to combat lies before they begin. Remember what Mark Twain said, a lie can get around the world three times before truth laces up its shoes. If we can combat lies and deceit and untruthfulness at the beginning, that we can begin to thwart some of these most evil things that we're facing. Now I'll say this, it's not going to come easy. Change never comes easy. And being a journalist these days, and I think Brian is exactly right. I hope we're in business in the next 10 years because it's going to become more difficult and more difficult. But I do believe that there is a growing uh, populace within this world. And let me say this, it's from our younger generation. They're not putting up with the BS of my generation and those that preceded me. They want truth and they want it now and they want genuine and authentic faith. And so that's where I find hope, Preston. Yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, I think, I think Mitch is the good one for the hope question here. Cause I think he has a bit more on the hope side than I do. I, I'm not convinced that we're at the point yet where we're willing to have most of our society say it's a coffee cup or, that it was an insurrection and not a bunch of tourists or, you know, just that, you know, a million people didn't just suddenly disappear over the last two years in our country, but they actually died from a virus that was real and is real and that masks actually do save lives. I mean, we have, we have such an allergic reaction to truth right now and that we are seeing a society where both religious institutions like the church and journalism institutions are decaying, which is why my joke about us as religious journalists right there in that Venn diagram, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's not the most glamorous field. Mitch and I didn't join religion journalism for the money. Uh, and so, you know, but in all of that, the hope will only be the place that the hope has always been. And that is in the truth that will set us free. And so, we need to be less concerned about the size of our kingdoms and the attendance records or the subscription records and so on and so on. And we need, I hope, but we will continue to find writers and preachers who will speak the truth that makes people uncomfortable, the truth that people don't want to hear. Uh, that's our calling, I think, as Christians broadly, but I think it's our calling, particularly as journalists, as writers, is to speak that truth. And I hope that that drive is never lost, because if we lose the truth tellers in our society, then we really do lose hope. Yeah. Thanks to both of you for being just that sort of truth tellers. Uh, I personally appreciate you and your work. 
uh, our church appreciates the work that you do. We talk about your pieces and your articles, your podcasts. And so to all of our listeners, uh, check out Brian Kaler at Word and Way and Mitch Randall at Good Faith Media. Uh, you can subscribe to journals, articles, daily reflections, and you will be a better person of the truth for doing so. Uh, thanks to both of you for your time today. And if you are a listener in central Arkansas and you want to go on a journey towards the truth and the one who is the truth, a pursuant of the truth, as Mitch has said, then we invite you to join us at Second Baptist Church uh, in this Lenten season as we attempt um, that exact journey. Uh, thanks for listening today. Let's go, and as we love God and love our neighbors, let's be people of the truth, uh, because that truth will set us free. Peace be with you. As you go, go and love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do so as if it's the most important thing in all the world, because it is. Thank you for listening to Because It Is. These are just some of the things that matter to us at Second Baptist Church downtown. If you enjoyed this conversation, please visit us online at 2bclr.com. That's the number 2bclr.com. And like us on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Brittany Stilwell and edited by Randy Schoenig with Fresh Air Media.